Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we will read verses 13 and 14. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Notice that the two sentences we're focused on this morning start with verbs. They both start with verbs. The Apostle Paul is commanding Pastor Timothy, just as he has throughout this letter, these these, uh, commands are continuing. He's commanding Timothy and us to kindle afresh the gift of God, not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of himself in prison, remember that from last time, and to join with him in suffering for the gospel. Then then we get these two commands in verses 13 and 14, retain and guard, retain and guard. Retain or hold, hold to, hold fast to, and then guard or keep. Retain and guard. It sounds like a soccer game, doesn't it? Retain and guard. That's all you do in soccer is retain and guard. Um, You want to retain control of the ball so that you can take the ball down. It's not a field. It's a pitch, I've been told. So you can take the ball down the pitch and score. And the other part of the team plays plays defense. They guard the goal against the uh, other team's offense. It's a very simple game. It's um, football, American football is the same way. It's, it's retain and guard. Retain the ball, move it forward, or guard. It's those two things. There, I've, I've made an illustration using football. <laughs> First one I think I've ever... Go on, touchdown. Um, <clears throat> and it's not an illustration. Yeah, anyway, I'll just move on. Um, retain and guard. And so just like in, in sports where that's the, that's the point of most sports, hockey, whatever, um, the spiritual life consists of the same, same work, retaining and guarding. It's offense and defense. In the work of the ministry and in the walk of faith, we're, we're, we're to play offense and defense. We're to keep and hold. We're to keep and hold, Paul says, to the standard of sound words. And we are to guard what's been given to us, this treasure that's been given to us. Or more tightly expressed, we're to guard the good deposit. The good deposit, something that's been given over to us for our keeping, and we're to guard that. So keep the standard of sound words and guard the good deposit. Those are the, the plays that we uh, must think about in our spiritual walk. So taking the first one first, what does this passage mean for us? What does it mean to retain the standard of sound words? Uh, For Timothy, the Apostle Paul has been exhorting him to remain faithful to God, faithful to his calling, 
faithful also to the example that Paul had given him and the apostles had given him. The apostle Paul had received a standard of sound words, the teachings of of God's word, the gospel, from Jesus himself, right? And here he was handing off that, that standard of sound words to the next man, exhorting him to hold to it, to not deviate from that standard he's been given, to keep it, to retain it. And of course, the second chapter begins by saying, now hand it off to others who will be able to hand it off to others, right? Now, this is important, isn't it? How many people... How many people do you know who have allowed little deviations into their lives? Away from the standard of sound words, away from the scriptures. They allow just a little deviation and it doesn't affect them too much. It doesn't affect them too much, but it does affect <coughs> more greatly those they teach. Right? Students often carry the errors of their teachers further along. They grow. Um, Let's say a teacher just begins to question whether or not younger children should be at the Lord's table. Um, And he pushes for his own children to be examined when they are very young. And the children are made partakers of the elements perhaps before they can easily understand what the Lord's table is and their own worthy partaking of it. Then, because they had that access, when they, those children grow up, they take it another step. And not only are they curious about young communion, something that they've lived through and, and been happy with it, but they, but they ask why any covenant child, no matter their age, no matter their ability, um, should come to the table. So on the basis of baptism, they argue that their, their, their child is a proper recipient. And you see, the student has gone past the father. The the child has gone farther than the teacher. You know, whereas the father was rightfully still concerned about self-examination, the son has moved past that and is no longer concerned about self-examination, but has a more logical or a more mechanistic view of of who who is a proper recipient um, of the table. But, you know, and, and so, but that's true of anything. That motion is true of any doctrine, right? We can deviate just a little from the standard of sound words and then teach it to somebody and have certain qualifications, but then they drop the qualifications and take what they think is the sound standard and move beyond it, move beyond it, move beyond it until further down the road. Um, they've abandoned orthodoxy. That, that motion is possible with justification, is, is possible with any sort of doctrine. One generation can hold to the inerrancy of the word. The next generation simply slightly changes their translation philosophy. Right? Let's not do word for word. Let's do dynamic equivalence translation. And then the next generation, because of that, abandons the inerrancy of Scripture. Right? And so you, you can see this, this, um, the importance of not deviating from the Word of God, not deviating even in little amounts from the Word of God. And then when you think about universities and seminaries and education, this process is all too clear. A teacher 
merely teaches his protege that when the Apostle Paul says that he does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, that when he says exercise authority, well, really what the Apostle Paul means is to not domineer. Right? It's a subtle, it's the meaning of one Greek verb, right? It's a subtle little thing. That teacher may oppose, at that point, that teacher may oppose the ordination of women. But what about the student? The student takes as his launching point the suggestion of the teacher and runs past him to the point where the student that he is teaching is shortly is openly advocating that women should teach and should preach and should lead in the church. This is why it's important that your teaching or the teaching of your pastors majors in the teachings found on the old path, right? The old paths, the standard old paths. It's about retaining what has been given to us as a whole. Does this mean that we don't have to think about the particular issues of our generation? Well, of um, of course not, but the answers are not to be found in innovation, right? They're not to be found in innovating beyond what's written in the Word. They're to be found in the inerrant and infallible standard of sound words in the Scripture, the Word of God. We do not create our Christian doctrine anew each generation, right? We retain what has been handed down from Jesus Christ himself, um, Think of, uh, think of orthodontics now. Um, some of us wore retainers, right? I threw mine away in the garbage twice, and that's why my bottom teeth are now crooked. My parents were not about to buy another retainer. But some of us wore retainers, and the main purpose was to keep those teeth in the same position, right? To not allow them to move. As a, as a teacher in the church or as a father or mother of children... You are a retainer. You're a retainer. Except um, in this case, you take what you have received, which shaped the way you are, and you make sure your children receive the same thing. Okay? And, and you get those teeth set, and then you retain them. Okay, let me say this again. Innovation, innovation is antithetical to Christianity. Innovation. It's antithetical to Christianity. The goal of the Christian should be simply this, to be doers of the word. Doers of the word. That's the same goal that all generations in the church have had. Be doers of the word. It's pure and simple. Innovators want to do what? Uh, To figure out a way not to be a doer of the word based upon some special knowledge, some Gnostic sort of special insight that they've received. If all of you talk to your children, um, think, think about this. If all you talk to your children about fathers are the sensational and controversial elements of the Christian faith, but you give them no grounding in the, the massive quantity of, of theology that, that falls outside of those things, well, the normal things, the simple non-negotiable things, your children will end up being radicals, right? Because they'll think of the Christian faith as always being on the fringes of the church. Um, they'll, they will receive what you give them, which was not according to the standard, and go all in, 
with it because they saw you go halfway there. If you talk to your children only about the secret rapture, right, which is an unbiblical doctrine, your children will likely become full-out conspiracy theorists. Right? That's what will happen to them. Talk to your children only about um, the immediate abolition of abortion, and they will become social activists devoid of the understanding of God's justice. Right? Talk to your children only about feminism, and they will likely become recluses right? who only will relate to their own families. Talk to your children only about miracles and they will likely become cynical because they won't experience any of them and they'll have to lie about experiencing them, right? We have to teach those under our authority about the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the incarnation, regeneration, salvation by faith, moral depravity, the resurrection, right? The church, repentance, the fear of God, the love of neighbor, boring, old, standard Christianity. That has to be 99.9% of what we hand on. If you have a taste for the controversial, for the peripheral questions, right? You are in particular danger of abandoning the standard of sound words, right? And if you're in a position of authority, you, you have to remember this. You cannot provide people with the you know, answers to the controversial questions before you've done a good job of laying a foundation of fundamental Christian doctrine. With authority comes responsibility, right? And, and you are responsible for the kind of Christian disciples that you're making, Right? We all are resp- all responsible for the kind of Christian disciples we are making. Um, would that every seminary professor understood that? Right? Would that every father and mother understood that? Would that every pastor and elder understood that? Um, if you've learned your Christianity, um, I mean, would that we didn't have the Internet? Right, dragging our minds to all the fringes and all the controversial questions only. That's what the internet does, right? It does it with the news, it does it with theology, it does it with, with knitting. I mean, it does it with everything. It takes you to the lunatic fringe, right, and teaches you about those questions, but you don't get grounding in what's standard, right? If you learned your Christianity from the internet, and many have. Many do today. And, and I'm not saying that there isn't right the proper use. Um, there is. But if you learned your Christianity from the Internet, you have had a very thoughtless teacher. You've had a really impetuous teacher. right? You, you cut your teeth on controversial questions before you had a basic foundation built up. And you'll be worse than your teacher. You'll go beyond what your teacher has taught you. How many internet Christians do you know now, internet Christians who have completely forsaken the faith? Many, many. I think we could all name those who have done that. Why? Because they had, they had no way of retaining a standard of sound words, having never been taught it. Right? They'd never been taught it. They never knew the standard. They never knew the simple doctrines, the the 
the simple doctrines of Christianity. Calvin on this verse says, Paul knew how ready men are to depart or fall off from pure doctrine. Right? For this reason, he earnestly cautions Timothy not to turn aside from that form of teaching which he had received and to regulate his manner of teaching by the rule which had been laid down. Not that we ought to be very scrupulous about words, but because to misrepresent doctrine, even in the smallest degree, is exceedingly injurious. Right? Even to, to deviate in small degrees from that standard doctrine can be really injuring, right? It can be really difficult. It can be really difficult for the disciple to make sense of it. Now, notice that the Apostle Paul writes, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Apostle Paul is explaining in two simple heads the Scripture's teaching, right? Faith, that gift from God, and love that relationship that precedes us eternally in the Trinity and is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The pattern of sound words in Scripture teach us faith by which we are saved as opposed to works, and they teach us love. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the teaching of the law, right? So faith and love. Two simple heads that we are to be teaching. If your disciples are not getting that, faith and love, you're likely off on some sort of tangent. Trying to get your students to be more nuanced in one particular area. Are your children learning about these fundamentals, faith and love? Ask them. Ask them what they think is the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith. Right? Ask yourself that. Um, Or are they learning only about theological fads? Are they only learning about the latest controversy? Are are they only learning about the the headlines um, on the Gospel Coalition? Right? Um, Jeremiah 6, 16 and 17 says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Of course, Israel wouldn't stand in the ancient past, wouldn't listen to that standard of sound words. They refused it. And did they go off the rails? Did they become more radical than their forefathers? Of course. So don't get bored with standard Christian doctrine. Read Puritans. Read books on justification by faith alone. Right? Read books on the resurrection. Read books on the incarnation. Read books on fundamental Christian doctrine. Don't get bored of Christian doctrine. Remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. His standard does not change. Right? And... and, And that we are blessed by that unchanging standard. Meditate on the law day and night, right? Dive into the study of uh, faith in Christ and love toward God and man. So the Apostle Paul says, retain the standard of sound words. Then, Then he exhorts Timothy to guard, to guard. So not only is Timothy told uh, to hold what the 
the Apostle Paul had received and given to him. He is to guard this good deposit. What things do we guard? We guard things that are valuable, right? That doesn't take a genius to figure out. We guard things that are valuable. We lock our doors when we leave our homes because it contains all of our valuables, right? We deposit money into our bank accounts and they guard it for us. It's part of our guarding of our money is to deposit their fathers and husbands guard their children and wives. Um, we, that which we consider valuable, we guard. Here in our passage, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to guard something valuable. Right? He's to guard the good deposit or that treasure that has been entrusted him, to him. What is the Apostle referring to here? I think um, he's referring both to the ministry to which uh, Timothy is called and to the standard of sound words, the gospel, the, thing, the uh, teaching of God's word. He's, he's referring to the ministry to which Timothy is called and particular gifts he's given him for the fulfillment of that ministry. You may remember the, the, the exhortation Timothy received from the apostle Paul at the very closing of the first letter. Very end, very last thing he says is, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard it, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Right? What's so bad about knowledge? Well, it's, a, it's just a little deviation from the standard of the word, right? It's falsely called knowledge. And so anyway, he's told there at the end of the book, guard this which has been given to you. Timothy, remember that he will one day give an account for his ministry that he is engaged in. Hebrews 13.10 is one of those verses that every elder should meditate on. And it speaks indirectly to the value of that which he is engaged in. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Right? So valuable is that which is entrusted to ministers that God will call them to give an account that non-elders won't have to give, right? They will have to give God an account about how they use their time for the good of his children. They will have to give an account about how they utilize the gifts that he gave to them for the building up of his kingdom. They will have to give an account of their commitment to the church because God considers the church so valuable so valuable that he gave his son to die for that church. That's how valuable the church is. Now, how is Timothy to guard the good deposit, those things entrusted to him? Our passage says that he is to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in him that which is entrusted to him. So guard it through the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry writes, It is committed to us to be preserved, pure and entire, yet we must not think to keep it by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And it will not be gained by those who trust in their own hearts and lean on their own understandings. Right? What did he say just before our passage? Remember, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. You've been given a spirit of power. And so it takes the work of this Holy Spirit for us to guard what has been entrusted to us. 
It takes the Holy Spirit to guard what has been entrusted, whether that be our faith or that be the gospel or that be the ministry we're called to. So let me remind you of the power of the Holy Spirit in God's children. It is, it truly is correct that without the Holy Spirit at work in us from regeneration onward, what would happen? We would fall away. Without the Holy Spirit's ongoing work. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The, the apostles, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the apostles led them to be witnesses around the whole world. It wasn't that they stirred themselves up right? It's that the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Romans fifteen thirteen. now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that if you have joy and peace and hope, that's, a, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That's another, that's another power of the Holy Spirit in you, joy, peace, and hope. 1 Corinthians 2.4, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Apostle Paul's preaching was not done because he was creative, or he, he, had, um, I mean, he had an intellect and he had training, and that was important, but it was by the, the, the Spirit's power working through him. Ephesians 3 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name and that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with up to all the fullness of God. That's the work of the Spirit in his people, that they may know the immensity of Christ's love for them, right? And, and that they might be strengthened in that love. Romans 7, 6, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not oldness of the letter. Spirit gives us power to keep law, Right to be obedient to what he said, Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even your prayers are because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit making those groanings go up to God and to our mediator, Jesus Christ, and then to the Father. And so every part of our walk by faith, every part of our Christian lives must be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. There are so many more verses, so many more examples of the the power of the Spirit that we could go. um, We could speak about the work of the Spirit for... um, for months. We haven't even touched on the gifts of the Spirit. We haven't even touched on the fruit of the Spirit, right? We are dependent on the Spirit for our sanctification as we are dependent upon the Son of God for our redemption, right? And and somehow, somehow we cooperate with the Spirit. As we work, He works. 
right? We, we can grieve the Spirit, we can resist the Spirit, we can also yield to the Spirit, we can depend upon the Spirit. Okay, Timothy was to guard the good deposit, those good deposit, those things entrusted to him by means of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that we have to thank for our regeneration and our ongoing sanctification. Um, one last thought on this. If you want to know what dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like, where do you look? I heard it. Somebody said it. You look to Jesus. Right? You look to Jesus Christ as we see him in the Gospels. Jesus depended upon the Holy Spirit. Right? And lived a Spirit-filled life. In, in so far as we walk like Jesus Christ, we know that the, the Holy Spirit is working in us. Um, Mark Jones, in, in his book, um, Knowing, Knowing Christ, writes, The Spirit who is sent to us from, was first on Christ. The Spirit who is sent to us was first on Christ. Why? To create a master copy of the religious and spiritual life of the Son and the Spirit Um, that the Spirit imparts to the elect. The better we understand Christ's religious and spiritual life, the better we will understand what our own religious and spiritual life ought to and will look like. Right? For the Spirit's goal is to glorify Christ by making Christ's sheep less like themselves and more like the Savior. Right? That's the goal of the Spirit. Less like yourselves, as you are by nature, and more like Jesus Christ. So, glory in that. Delight in the fact that God is at work in you by His Spirit. Pursue it. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. Pursue this work of the Lord. And so, retain and guard what you have received. Retain the standard of sound words. And guard what you have received, that good deposit, by relying upon the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement we've received from your word to retain and guard, to retain what has been handed on to us in your word, and to guard that which has been... uh, that which is, is even being guarded by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would pursue holiness. Your Spirit is a Spirit of holiness. And so we know as He works that holiness will, will come. Pray that we would love that standard. Pray that we would love You with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.